Hello, and welcome to Let's Get Sexy, the podcast where I read an erotic story and you listen to it. You've joined us for Chapter 2 of Wings of Grey, the story I'm reading for the third series of the Let's Get Sexy podcast. If you've listened to this podcast before, then you'll know that I haven't read this chapter ahead of time, so what follows will be a surprise to me, and my thoughts and feelings in the second part will be my genuine first reaction. That's the way I like to do business. If you can call doing this a business. At least for the moment, I think I consider it more of a fun hobby, which in a way is at least phase two. Phase one was the experimental phase of seeing if I enjoyed doing podcasting, and I think we're pretty solidly into phase two, where I feel pretty confident that I do enjoy it. It is good fun to read these stories aloud to you, and to talk all kinds of nonsense about the crazy things that I read. Enjoyment has been established. That's phase two. Maybe one day in the future we'll reach a phase three, in which the podcast can be monetized in some way to provide an income. That would be great. Maybe there's even a phase four, where the extreme success of a podcast can launch this humble narrator into the stratosphere of fame and fortune. But before I get ahead of myself, let's talk about the chapter I'm about to read. Chapter two. Subtitle, Mike and Alex have their first date, and more. The chapter contains 3.6 thousand words. It has a star rating of 4.55, making it a story which is labelled H for hot. There have been 24.6 thousand readers of this story, and 21 of those have liked it. There are also 10 comments for us to experience at the end of this chapter, so stay tuned for that. To recap what happened in chapter 1, our main character, Mike, and his friend Ethan go to school in a world which was blighted by a strange disease that mutates those who become infected, giving them strange adaptations that mimic the look and feel, and I guess some of the functionality of animals which have been in close proximity to them in their lives. In this world, it seems that the immediate danger of the disease, which is not infectious to everybody, only a certain percentage of the population can catch this disease, it seems like the main danger is over, and the new mutant population are being reintroduced to society after having spent the last six or so years in what sounded a bit like a concentration camp for the purposes of quarantine. One of the mutants being reintegrated into society is Alex. Another youngster, similar age to Ethan and Mike, had his first day at a new school, and Mike made a real effort to get friendly with Alex, even if Ethan wasn't too thrilled about the idea of hanging around with a mutant. We also learned that the mutations Alex has, including wings and feathers, seem to originate from the animal, the goshawk, which is a kind of large bird of prey. Even though Ethan finds Alex's mutations quite off-putting, the same is not true for Mike, who seems immediately enamoured with the new boy. And at the end of the chapter, Mike and Alex arrange to meet up for a date. So there we are, that's what's happened. And I, for one, am very excited to find out what's going to happen in this next chapter of Wings of Grey.
Mike stepped out of the shower with a towel wrapped around his waist. It was Friday night, and he was getting ready for his date with Alex. He toweled off quickly before pulling on some jeans and a long-sleeve V-neck T-shirt. He pushed his hair back and looked at himself in the mirror. He didn't think he looked half bad, with emerald green eyes and his light brown hair. He was more muscular from playing football than most guys. He was tall enough so that when he and Alex stood next to each other, the top of Alex's head reached Mike's chin. He heard the doorbell ring and ran downstairs, hoping he would get to it before his parents did. Hello, he heard his mum say. Damn, he thought to himself. Hi, I'm Alex. Is Mike ready? He heard Alex's softer voice. Right here, mum, Mike interrupted his mother calling for him. She gave him a look, and he figured it was about Alex being infected. He hadn't told either of his parents yet. Gotta go, we're gonna be late, he said, before grabbing his jacket, giving his mum a kiss on the cheek, and heading out the door. I hope you don't mind walking, Mike said. My dad had to take the car out. It's no problem. It's a beautiful night out tonight, Alex smiled as they walked down the sidewalk. So, tell me about yourself. What's your mum like? Mike figured Alex lived with his mum since his dad had died in the camps. I don't know. I've never met her. It was just me and dad before we got infected, Alex shrugged. Whoa, I'm so sorry. Mike felt bad for bringing it up. It's okay. Can't miss what you've never had, right? Alex smiled. He didn't seem to be affected by Mike's question. I guess. So, where do you stay now? Mike asked. A foster home, Alex said. I'm sorry, I really should just stop talking. Mike wanted to kick himself. Really, it's fine. I don't mind at all. My dad died when I was six. I got over it. He smiled at Mike to show it was okay to talk about it. I just don't want to bring up any painful memories, Mike admitted. You won't. I'll let you know if a subject is too touchy for me, Alex promised. All right. So, if you don't mind me asking, what were the camps like? I read an article in my ethics class two years ago, and I've seen news reports and shows about them and stuff, but I've never actually gotten to talk with someone who was there, said Mike. Alex swallowed. The camps were... bad. But honestly, I don't know what's worse, the camps or the public. At least in the camps, all you had to worry about were the guards, Alex said. What do you mean? Mike was confused. Weren't the guards supposed to protect them? Mike thought to himself. Well, the government had to hire people who would be around us, who would want to get a new job there, who were cheap to pay, and who were strong enough to be guards. Most people hate us, have decent jobs already, and aren't strong enough to be a guard. So that leaves very few decent people. Don't get me wrong, they weren't all bad. Some were nice, and I even had a few friends that were guards. But for the most part, they were all... Alex looked for the word. Assholes? Mike threw in. Yeah, Alex agreed. And the food was awful. If you didn't like it, then you didn't eat. And then there was always the scientists, Alex sighed. What about them? Mike asked. All scientists want to do is study. They don't care if they cause you pain or what your opinion is. Our rights were completely forgotten when we went into the camps. They got to do whatever the hell they wanted to us, when they wanted to do it, no matter how horrible it was. Alex finished. He was gazing ahead of him, but it was like he wasn't really with Mike anymore. He was back in the camps. I'm sorry, Mike said. I told you it's fine to talk about this stuff, Alex laughed. No, I meant I'm sorry for whatever happened to you, Mike said, and turned to face Alex. Thank you. No one has ever apologised for that before. Not that it's your fault, but it's still appreciated, Alex said. Mike grabbed his hand and squeezed it, trying to comfort him. Hey, how about we skip the movie? There's something I want to show you, Mike said. Uh, um, okay, Alex said, unsure. 
Come on, said Mike, before turning back towards his house. They reached Mike's house and went through the gate into his backyard. The house's backyard opened onto a wooded area, and they soon disappeared into the tree line. Where are we going? asked Alex, tripping over a rock. Ow, he muttered. Clumsy, Mike giggled. I'm not used to seeing in the dark, Hawkeyes and all. I try to stay inside at night, Alex grumbled. We're almost there, said Mike, leading Alex through the trees, with their hands still firmly locked together. Where is there? Alex asked. Be patient, laughed Mike. He thought he heard Alex grumble something, but the smaller boy was quiet. The woods suddenly opened onto a large field. Over a hill, Alex could make out something that looked like a shed. Mike pulled him through the field towards the building. When they reached the building, Alex realised it was an old barn. Do you take all your dates out here? Alex laughed. <laughs> no, you're first. I come here a lot. It's beautiful, Mike said, stepping inside the doorway. The door had been open already. Beautiful isn't really the word I would use for this place, laughed Alex. You haven't seen it all yet, Mike said. They stepped inside, and Alex could smell hay and dust. Mike stepped towards an old wooden ladder leading up to the loft. He finally released Alex's hand before starting to climb. Is this really safe? Alex said, testing his weight on the first rung of the shaky ladder. I've been here tons of times, and you have half the weight of what I do. Just come on, Mike said, as he reached the top. Alex hesitated for a moment longer before following him. When he reached the top, Mike held out a hand, and when Alex took it, he pulled him up the rest of the way. Alex looked around the loft, and saw it was mostly bare, except for a few bales of hay and a blanket. The hay was scattered over most of the loft, but there was a window that looked out over the field, and there were several piles of loose hay, with the blanket over them, that made a makeshift bed or couch facing the window. Mike moved around until he was sitting on the furniture. He turned and looked towards Alex, and patted the empty spot next to him. Alex thought for a moment before sitting next to him. Mike turned and looked out the window, and that's when Alex noticed the moon. The moon had risen, and was hanging low and full in the sky. Far enough away from the town's lights, the stars illuminated the sky. The light from the moon shone down onto the grass of the field. The wind made it sway back and forth lightly, and up here, all Alex could smell was lilies. The sight was breathtaking. Mike, this is beautiful, Alex said, mesmerised by the sight. I know. I come here all the time. It's quiet. No one's ever out here. Sometimes I just come up here to think, you know, said Mike, staring at the full moon. Yeah, damn, I wish I could find a place like this, Alex laughed. I think I would be willing to share, Mike said, and turned to look at Alex with a small grin on his face. Oh yeah? How could I ever repay you? Alex laughed. Hmm. If you agree to go out with me again tomorrow, Mike smiled. Alex gave a dramatic sigh. I guess it would be worth it for this beautiful sight, he laughed, and turned back towards the view. It is beautiful, isn't it? Alex turned to look at Mike, and realised he wasn't looking at the view, but at him. He blushed so hard, Mike could have seen it even in the darkness of the loft. He leaned in slowly, and Alex tilted his head up in response. Their lips met, and Alex let out a small moan. Mike turned more to face him, and cupped his delicate face between his hands. Alex shivered at the warmness of Mike's hands, and leaned in to the touch. Mike nibbled at Alex's lip for entry, and he gladly opened to allow him access. He slid his tongue into Alex's mouth smoothly, and their tongues danced in a passionate kiss. Mike put his hands on Alex's slender waist, and ran his hands up his back. Then he remembered the grey feathered wings the younger boy sported. Can I... 
Mike trailed off, his hand resting right above Alex's right wing. With his lips swollen from their kisses and panting softly, Alex flexed his wing so that it pressed into Mike's hand. Mike was shocked at the silky smoothness of his feathers. They were softer than any bird's wings he had ever felt, and they reminded him of silky hair. He pushed his hands against them softly and nearly melted when Alex gave a soft coo of pleasure. Alex stretched his wings to their full length and ruffled them slightly. The moonlight bounced off the grey feathers, making them a luminescent silver. Mike returned his hands to Alex's face and stroked his cheek softly while brushing his lips across Alex's swollen ones. Then he noticed Alex was shivering, and it wasn't because of the passion of their kiss. His teeth chattered loudly, though he only now realised it. We should head back, Mike said. He stood and removed his jacket, motioning for Alex to turn around. The smaller boy complied, and tucked his wings against his back tightly while Mike wrapped his jacket around the frail shoulders. He smiled and inhaled Mike's scent. It sent shivers up his back, this time not from the cold. Mike wrapped his arm around Alex's shoulders, and they headed back down towards the ladder. Mike reached his third period class and was excited they had a substitute. He hadn't got to talk to Alex in the first two periods because the teachers had gotten right to work, but that didn't keep his mind from wandering to what had happened last night. His fingers twitched at the memory of Alex's soft wings. He looked up when the sub handed out a worksheet and then sat at the teacher's desk to play Frogger on his phone. Alex turned in his seat and Mike saw that he had his jacket folded on his lap. He'd forgotten to get it back from him last night. I forgot to give this back to you last night, Alex said, blushing when Ethan looked between them. Thanks, but you can keep it if you want. I have another jacket, Mike said. You don't mind? Alex asked. It was obvious he wanted to keep it. Not at all, Mike smiled. Alex beamed, and Mike saw him smell the collar of the jacket when he turned around before putting it on his desk. So, are we on again for tonight? Mike asked, hoping that Alex hadn't just been joking when he said he would go out with him again. Of course. Do you actually want to go somewhere this time, or just stay in again? Alex smiled. Up to you, smiled Mike. You two totally fucked, Ethan scoffed, and looked back and forth between the two boys, with disgust obvious in his eyes. Alex's smile dropped, and he looked at his lap nervously. Shut the hell up, Ethan. You don't know what the fuck you're talking about, Mike growled at his friend, or at least who he thought was a friend. Like hell I don't. Stay inside? Come on. Could your little twink be more obvious? Ethan made a gagging noise before turning back to his paper. Mike's anger burned, and he grabbed the collar of Ethan's shirt. Don't you ever talk about him like that again, Mike said, getting in Ethan's face. By now, people were staring, including the sub, who made no move to stop the fight. Get your faggot hands off me, Ethan said as he shoved Mike. Mike stood ready to fight, but Alex beat him to it. Mike, calm down, it's fine. I don't care. He stood between Mike and Ethan. The whole class was now staring. It's not fine, Alex. He can't talk about you like that, Mike fumed. Just let it go. It doesn't affect me, Alex lied. He placed his hands with their sharp claws on Mike's chest delicately. Mike hadn't broken eye contact with Ethan, but he did then. He looked into Alex's orange eyes with their larger-than-average pupils. He noticed Alex breathed faster, more like a bird than a normal human. He relaxed his tensed muscles, remembering how he panted after their kiss the night before. Disgusting infected scum, Ethan growled, before storming out of the classroom, leaving his bags and worksheet behind. Mike thought he saw Alex wince, but Alex seemed to ignore the comment. All right, sit down, the sub said, seeming to take control of the situation now that he'd had his daily helping of drama. Alex returned to his seat, 
and Mike did the same. Mike reached out a hand in front of him and squeezed Alex's shoulder, trying to comfort him. He felt Alex lean back into his touch and smiled, looking forward to their date that night. The bell rang for lunch, and Mike and Alex headed to their table. Mike was glad when he saw Ethan wasn't there. He sat down at the table, and Alex sat next to him. Mike noticed that he was wearing his jacket. He smiled at Alex, and the smaller boy returned the smile. So, for tonight, what do you want to do? Mike said, as he pulled out his sandwich. I don't know, Alex said, and thought for a moment. How about pizza? Mike said. Alex sighed. Oh, God, I miss pizza. He grimaced and held up his rabbit jerky. Oh, right, damn. Mike kicked himself for not thinking. Sorry, Alex said. It's okay, it's not your fault, Mike said. How about movie night? We can hang at my place and just watch movies. And eat bunnies, Mike said, and grabbed a piece of Alex's jerky, smelling it and frowning slightly. Okay, Alex smiled. He urged Mike to try it, but Mike shook his head and put it down. Chicken, Alex joked. Rabbit eater, Mike laughed. Alex pushed him playfully. Other people eat rabbits too. Normal people, Alex pointed out. You're definitely not normal, Mike said, and Alex stared at him. You're better than normal, said Mike, and pressed a kiss to his temple. Alex beamed and leaned into him. From across the lunchroom, Ethan glared angrily at the two. Disgusting, isn't it? The guy sitting next to him muttered. Rodney, Ethan thought his name was. What? Ethan snapped out of his reverie. The two faggots. Not to mention... One of them is an infected piece of shit, Rodney growled, glaring at Alex. Ethan wasn't sure he liked Rodney talking about Mike like that, but he did know that he hated Alex more than anything. Yeah, they should all be put back in the camps if you ask me. Ethan stared at Mike as he put his hand on Alex's thigh. Agreed, Rodney said, and the two boys shared a look. Mike laid on the couch, and Alex was laying on top of him. His left hand rested on his chest, and his right was wrapped around Mike's neck. Mike fed himself another small handful of popcorn, and felt Alex jump as the scary movie progressed. Mike realised he was out of popcorn, and began to slide out from underneath Alex. Wait, where are you going? Alex asked, fear in his voice. Just to get some more popcorn. I'll be right back, Mike smiled. Alex curled into the warm spot Mike had been laying in and hugged his pillow before gluing his eyes back to the TV. Mike looked back as he was walking into the kitchen and saw him close his eyes, inhaling the scent that was on the pillow. He smiled and stepped into the kitchen. Hi, honey. You two having fun? His mum asked when he walked in. Yeah, he's terrified of scary movies, but that's all he wants to watch, Mike laughed. He's cute, his mum smiled. I know, right? Mike beamed. He heard a squawk from the living room and poked his head out around the corner to peer in at Alex. He was hiding beneath the pillow as the killer chased the damsel in distress through the house. He laughed and Alex looked up and blushed. Mike finished the popcorn and returned to the living room. He sat down in his old spot when Alex scooted over and laid his head down so that it rested on Mike's lap. Mike attacked the popcorn with one hand and stroked Alex's hair with the other. Alex still clutched the pillow to his chest, and Mike smiled at the orange eyes, open in fear. After the fourth movie had ended, they decided to call it a night. You sure you don't want me to walk you home? Mike asked, as he led Alex to the door. I'll be fine. I'll see you Monday at school, yeah? Alex asked. Mike frowned. Not tomorrow? He pouted and stroked Alex's arm. No, I'm, I'm sorry. I have to work around the foster home so they let me stay there. Since I'm 19, I aged out of the system. I just have nowhere else to go while I finish my last year of high school, Alex explained. Ah, oh, okay. Then, yeah, I'll see you Monday, Mike said. 
He leaned down, and they shared a warm kiss before Alex walked out of the door, giving a last bright smile. They dated for two more months, and Mike never felt more strongly about anything or anyone besides his parents. He only hoped Alex felt the same way. They often held movie nights at Mike's house, and when they weren't watching movies, they were out at the barn, watching the moon rise or the sunset. Mike wondered about the foster home, but Alex never invited him over, and he didn't want to push the subject. He also wondered when he and Alex would take the next step in their relationship. Up until then, they'd only done some heavy kissing. He knew he wanted more, but he didn't want to pressure Alex into anything he didn't want. He was definitely willing to wait. Are you going to come over for a movie night again tonight? Mike asked as they packed up from their last class of the day. You bet, Alex smiled, and his wings raised slightly. Mike had grown accustomed to reading Alex's expressions and emotion by the way he moved his wings. If they raised, he was happy or excited. If they drooped, he was sad about something. If he ruffled them constantly, like he did before big tests, he was nervous or uneasy, and he beat them furiously when he was angry. Mike had found that out the hard way two weeks ago. Are you ashamed of me? Alex asked after one of their movie nights. His wings ruffled and twitched. What? Why would you think that? Of course I'm not, Mike said, pausing the movie and turning towards Alex. It's just, you haven't introduced me to your parents or your other friends, and we never go out in public. I just want to know if you don't want to be seen dating a... a... Alex swallowed loudly. He had started his speech angrily. His wings spread and made gestures as if he was making them with his hands, but as he got to the end, he became nervous, and his wings folded and twitched. An infected person? Mike asked. Alex nodded and looked at the floor. Mike caressed his face between his hands and tilted his head so that he was looking at him. I'm not, nor have I ever been ashamed of you. I think you're beautiful, and if someone can't see that, then they don't deserve to know you, and what a wonderful person you are. As for my parents and friends, honestly, I think I just wanted you for myself. It never occurred to me to share you, Mike smiled. Alex smiled and hugged Mike. He burrowed his head into the crook of his neck and enjoyed the feeling of being held. I'm sorry I doubted you, he said. I'm sorry I made you doubt me, Mike replied. Alex smiled up at him, and the two shared a passionate kiss. Mike remembered that night, and ever since he'd made a point to introduce Alex as his boyfriend, and invited him to dinner at a restaurant with his parents. Alex hadn't ever been mad at him for anything other than that, and Mike had simply never been mad at him. He wanted to give his boy everything he wanted. To be continued. Isn't that nice? Isn't that lovely? In a way, this doesn't even feel like a sex story. This feels more like a romance. It's very much a change of pace from Dan and Lisa's adventure. Let's say that. (laughs) I feel like for Dan and Lisa in the country cottage, it was all about swallowing your emotions and focusing on pure physical pleasure. Whereas in this story, there's actually quite a lot of repression going on on the physical side, while the emotional side is getting a lot of attention. It's got a kind of first love vibe to it, I think. And I'm picking up again that this is maybe written by somebody quite young, that the author Gwiel is probably about the same age as the characters, maybe even slightly younger. Because there's something adorably naive, I think, about the way this story has progressed, and the way that the characters are beautifully free of any kind of cynicism. 
<laughs> they're just these innocent young lovers experiencing everything for the first time. And even though they've got some haters at school and in the world around them, that almost gives it this kind of Romeo and Juliet vibe to it, where it's in some way a forbidden love, or it's it's a controversial love, and they've got to fight against the odds to be together. I mean, that's so romantic, isn't it? It's such a teen romance. It's hyper real. And I think that's how it can feel when you're a teen <laughs> who falls in love for the first time. It's a very intense experience. Lots of new emotions flooding into your hormone-rich body. The other thing that makes me think that maybe Gwiel is a bit of a younger writer is some of the focus on details, which I don't know if they'd be pertinent to an adult writing this story, whether you'd think that was worth writing down. Things like specifying that the t-shirt he was wearing was a long-sleeved v-neck t-shirt. I could be completely wrong about this, but I just get the sense that maybe there's some meaning in wearing a long-sleeved v-neck t-shirt, because otherwise why would you bother to specify that it was long-sleeved and v-necked? I can't really speak to what the meaning behind a v-necked long-sleeved t-shirt might be, but I feel like there is one. You know, like a, maybe like a certain kind of person wears a v-neck long sleeve t-shirt. It's like it's kind of a statement. There are also bits like the focus on the hand-holding as a big important thing, and the idea of going beyond kissing being like a milestone. I think for most adults, there's not necessarily such a separation in terms of time between doing a kiss and going further than that and getting more sexual. I think it would be unusual to have a kiss with somebody and stay in that phase of just kissing without doing anything else for a whole two months. <laughs> that's, I think that's the sort of thing that really only happens when you're a teenager. And I think it's the sort of thing that only a teenager would think was relevant to writing about in that way. I guess maybe there are certain religious groups who operate that way, but by and large I think it's unusual. And I know it's kind of set in a teenage world. It's obvious that the characters are teenagers who live under their parents' roofs and go to school and all that kind of stuff. And maybe I'm completely wrong about Gwiel, the author. Maybe they're just a really good writer who can really effectively put themselves in the mindset of a teenager. But I suspect that they are a teenager themselves. That we're getting a bit of a glimpse, in a way, into the teenage mindset, which is quite interesting. And for me, reading it, I feel brings up a lot of memories. And there's a lot of familiarity. It's a little bit of a trip down memory lane, as far as the emotional landscape goes. And I don't just mean about the sense that going beyond kissing and becoming increasingly sexually active is this series of milestones which seems like a very big deal at the time. I also mean in the way that the characters talk to each other and the way that tensions escalate almost instantly. There's a real teenage angst just below the surface, like things could kick off at any time. And I really remember that being <laughs> kind of a feeling as a teenager, that people didn't necessarily hold much back. They really <laughs> said what they felt in quite a direct way. And if things were about to turn nasty, then they were about to turn really nasty, in a way where you feel it's almost over the top, because there's a sense that teenagers don't really understand what they're saying when they're really mean and rude to each other. Swearing and using bad language as a teen, it's, it loses a lot of its power that I think 
it regains when you become an adult and you get out of the habit of using those words in everyday conversation. As an adult, to tell someone to fuck off is quite a big move. It's quite an offensive thing to say, and you're really looking to escalate things and get a big reaction if you say that to somebody. But I remember saying that as a kid, as a teenager, and it was just a pretty normal thing to say. You might tell your friend to fuck off in a friendly way that was pretty inoffensive because it just lost all its meaning. Teenagers are so offensive to one another because they're so desensitized to it. And I really feel like some of that comes out, especially in the conflict between Mike and Ethan. I can't imagine as an adult somebody saying, you two totally fucked. If there was maybe some suspicion that two people had been doing it in private, it's such an aggressive way to, <laughs> to to broach that. And then Mike's response, shut the hell up, Ethan. You don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> it's so over the top. You can almost feel the hormones, the testosterone. And I think it's really relatable, at least to me. And also what it feels like to be a teen who's in love for the first time. I think even though there's a lot of negative things you could say about what it's like to be a teen, that sense that everything is heightened and immediate and really magnified also has an effect on the positive emotions that you feel. And I think we see some of that in, in Mike and Alex's exploration of their feelings about each other. There's a sense almost of their clumsiness in a new relationship. They don't really know what to do. Mike is constantly worried about putting his foot in his mouth and upsetting Alex. And Alex is so scared that Mike might think that he's been offended by something that Mike said. That he's almost overzealous in reassuring Mike that there's been no offence taken. <laughs> to the point where they actually end up talking about something that I think clearly makes Alex feel uncomfortable. And why wouldn't it? And this is something I think I didn't mention so much in the last episode of this podcast. But... There are clear allusions to the Holocaust in the way that the quarantine camps are characterised. And I wonder if such a heavy subtextual background can really be explored effectively by a teenager in the context of an erotic story. Are we going to see much of the impact that this terrible disease and all the societal impacts of things like the concentration camps and the mutant reintegration into the wider world? Is that going to feature much in this narrative? Because I feel like with this level of enormous heavyweight subject matter, it's actually quite a responsibility that Gwil is taking on in choosing to have them as these core elements of the story. And without wanting to judge him too quickly... I'm starting to have my doubts that these things are going to be dealt with in the way that you might well say they deserve to be dealt with. I think it feels a little bit like a teenager who wants to include big issues in the story without really understanding some of the weight that they carry. I kind of half wonder whether Gwil, the author, has just studied the Second World War, maybe, in high school. And it is quite a traumatic thing to learn about, especially when you're a teenager and in your childhood previously, there's a sense that the world is good and it's a happy place where you can achieve your dreams. And then in your mid-teens, you learn in history about all the awful things that humanity has done. And fuck, it's way worse than you ever dreamed it could be. That can be, I think, quite a traumatic thing. So maybe some of that is being processed here by the author. Maybe there's a sense in which 
Mike's acceptance of someone like Alex is to do with the author's rejection of the atrocities of the Holocaust and against kind of racial prejudice in general. While on the other hand, there's a character like Ethan. There's obviously a bit of a bust up in the lesson with the temp teacher who I felt that just to zoom in a bit on the temp teacher, I feel like that's another big giveaway that this is written by a teenager. <laughs> because I don't think an adult would be so harsh about a substitute teacher. <laughs> Someone who's just doing their job, and it's not an easy job to do, it's not a nice job to be a substitute teacher. You must know as a substitute teacher, going into teacher class that you're covering, that you're going to have to deal with some of perhaps the worst behaviour that this class is capable of. And I think it's such a teenage thing to judge a teacher. It's such a part of the school dynamic that the kids are on one side and the teachers are on the other. There's a kind of natural animosity. I think it takes a little bit of time and maturity to get past and realise as an adult that those are just people doing their jobs. But I feel there's so much judgment in the way we're obviously supposed to feel a certain way about a substitute who just hands out a worksheet and then sits at their desk playing Frogger on their phone. And then later on, after the big fight breaks out, the substitute only takes control of the situation now that he's had his daily helping of drama. <laughs> what a ridiculous thing to think that a substitute teacher is getting anything for themselves out of the drama that goes on between two teenagers. It's just pathetic, isn't it? <laughs> And I think really that speaks to the feeling you have as a teenager that you're at the centre of the world and that the things that are happening to you and within your friendship group are the most important thing. They're so interesting, so crucial and fascinating. And I think as an adult, seeing that kind of attitude, it's just so ridiculous to imagine that a substitute teacher would care at all about the drama going on between two teenage boys. Like, they would have any level of investment in what happens. <laughs> but I will say that maybe the substitute could have stepped in earlier and stopped this from being a confrontation. But let's look into that confrontation a little bit and see what's really going on there. I mean, the whole thing is really kicked off by Ethan. He's the instigator in this situation, and he goes in hard. It's like an accusation, isn't it? It's, and it's so jealous. There's such pain, I think, in that, of not being involved. And I wonder whether Ethan has some unresolved or unacknowledged attraction to Mike that he's not really ready to deal with yet. The way he talks about Alex being Mike's little twink just seems to me like a cry of the greenest envy. It's almost like Ethan saying, why couldn't I be your little twink? I think also his assumption that Mike and Alex have gone further and that they've actually had sex possibly speaks to where Ethan's fantasies have taken him. Ethan's thinking, well, if it was me and Mike, then we would have definitely had sex by now. So that means that Mike and Alex must have done it. I think it's interesting also how wound up Mike is by all this. He's completely incapable of just waving it off or dismissing it. And it seems like there would have been a full-on fight there that would have come to actual blows if it wasn't for cool-headed Alex de-escalating the situation. 
I wonder if Alex's reluctance to allow violence to happen is a result of having been in the camps where violence is just a fact of everyday life. And perhaps even Alex has had to learn to disguise his emotions and, and not allow himself to take offence in case it provokes violence. Whereas for Mike and Ethan, who are, I think, sheltered in a way, and they're in a pretty safe environment at school, and perhaps their lack of exposure to the real horrors of violence that means that Mike and Ethan can jump straight to fighting and getting into a physical confrontation. Maybe there's also a sense that the reason that Alex doesn't fight is because he's worried about what he might do to protect Mike if he was to join in the fighting. Alex has been exposed to life without the safety barriers. He's experienced true violence, and he also has these really sharp claws, which he places delicately on Mike's chest. But I can imagine if Alex really let himself go, and if he went off the hook, that those claws could do quite a lot of damage. So maybe there's a sense that Alex doesn't want this to escalate to a real fight. You know, he doesn't want to end up killing anyone or doing any real damage with those claws of his. But I think it's clear that Ethan loses the confrontation. He's the one who has to storm out. He's the one who is giving up his usual lunchtime table in the next scene. I thought the first date was interesting, and I don't know if going through the woods to a barn in the middle of a field to watch a full moon is necessarily a better date than a movie. I mean, a movie isn't a good date anyway, especially not a first date, because you can't really do much talking, <laughs> so it's, it's not a good way of getting to know somebody. But I don't know whether I would want to go on a first date out into the middle of nowhere to an abandoned barn, <laughs> up a rickety old ladder to somebody's creepy makeshift bed slash couch. That sounds <laughs> like a little bit of a red flag. I would maybe be worrying if they were going to murder me before the end of the night. But I guess that's the sort of thing that doesn't occur to a teenager who's in the throes of passion. And fortunately for Alex, Mike's intentions are pure, and they have a lovely, passionate kiss in the moonlight. And there's a really tense moment where Mike is tempted to touch Alex's wings, but has a moment of wondering whether it's the right time, whether it's taboo to touch the wings or not. But then Alex reassures him and puts his wings into Mike's hand. So, I wonder what that's an analogy for. <laughs> Although it does pay off in this instance, as we hear from Alex's soft coo of pleasure. <laughs> Finally, a man who coos. We had so many women cooing all the time in the country cottage, and we never once heard a man cooing. And now we've got a lovely young man who does do a coo. Although I wonder whether that cooing is more to do with his bird mutations, whether that's the reason for the coo. It's hard to know whether Alex would coo if he didn't have the mutations. It is a little bizarre. I keep kind of wrestling with this thought that it is a little bit bizarre in a way that Mike is so into the bird thing. I mean, especially for a first love, that's, that's quite a challenging first love, I think. There was one odd moment in there which to me rang a little bit untrue. When they're on their way to the barn, going through the woods... Alex seems to have trouble seeing because his hawk eyes are not used to seeing in the dark. I thought, don't hawks have excellent vision? Isn't that one of the things about a hawk and birds of prey in general, that they have incredibly good eyesight? 
And don't most predatory birds hunt at night? Let's go into the specifics of goshawks and find out whether they're daytime or nighttime birds. Do goshawks have good night vision? Oh, here we go. Goshawks have excellent eyesight adapted for daylight, but they don't have good night vision. Aha! There we go. So that's an accurate bird fact there. I thought that was a bit odd, though. Normally you think of hawk eyes as really great eyes, but I guess goshawks only great during the day. There's all these extra things that Mike has to consider about a relationship with a bird mutant, isn't there? Like all the additional expressions and emotions that are signified by the movement of the wings that he has to interpret in Alex. Although I guess they are somewhat straightforward. Raised if they're happy or excited. Drooping if he's a little bit sad. Ruffled if he's a little bit nervous or uneasy. And beating furiously when he's angry. So those, I suppose, are pretty intuitive. The argument they have that Alex is a little bit uneasy that Mike hasn't shown him off in public or introduced him to friends and family. That seems to kind of come out of nowhere. I don't know. There was no hints that that might be a dynamic that needed addressing before the point where it's brought up directly. And I wonder if maybe is that an issue that's going on in the life of Gwiel, the author? Maybe they've got a partner who's feeling that way and is a little bit upset. Things seem to be resolved quite easily, though, between Mike and Alex. Mike seems to know exactly what to say, and it ends very amicably, and then they have a passionate kiss. I wonder if things went so well for Gwiel in real life, <laughs> or if this is maybe a bit of a fantasy of how it should have gone, or how they wished it had gone, what they should have said at that time. <laughs> because I feel like arguments between couples, especially teenage couples, almost never go that smoothly. Overall, though, this story gave me quite a warm feeling. I like Mike and Alex as a couple, and I hope things work out well for them. I'm surprised in a way that we jumped like two months between paragraphs, and that nothing really happened during those two months, when it seemed like so much has happened over the last two or three days since Alex arrived at school. And I wonder whether the need for that lurch forward in time was something that felt necessary to the author to justify what may be coming in a future episode as Alex and Mike begin to get more sexual. I think there's often a feeling during teenage years that there's an appropriate amount of time to have been dating somebody before things progress through the stages of increasingly intimate sexual acts. And there would be an element perhaps of scandalousness if the appropriate amount of time hadn't passed before they progressed to that stage. But I guess we'll see in the next chapter whether things do indeed go that way. But overall, a very enjoyable chapter, I thought. Nice to have a bit of a change of pace from our last story, which was very intense sexually, pretty much throughout. Quite devoid of romance, I think, <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, Dan and Lisa were a couple for whom the passion had left their relationship to some degree and they were trying to rekindle things and I think it's nice that in Wings of Grey there's a great deal of romance and passion which is still very new and exciting and yet to be explored and that's quite a nice thing to have in a story I think. Let's have a look at the comments. We've got 10 comments. Most of them are short ones so we can rattle through a few of them. Hot Lover 69 says, Loving it! 
Usher Gal says, Ah, so cute. No More Tears, double zero, says, Oh yeah, got a feeling there's trouble around the corner. Very cute, very sweet story. There's a comment from an anonymous commenter who says, I like it. I'm really enjoying this. I just have the feeling that Ethan secretly likes Mike and wants to do something to Alex just because he was him. <laughs> does that does that make sense? Ethan secretly like Mike and want to do something to Alex just because he has him. Because he has him. Yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> That's what I've been talking about. I think that Ethan's got some secret complex feelings about Mike. Anonymous goes on to say, I wish it was longer. Can't wait for the next chapter. Keep up the good work. I'll echo that. Can't wait for the next chapter. Avid Reader 01 says, I am really enjoying this new series you're writing. Alex is so adorable, and it's great to see Mike standing up for him, especially against someone he called a friend. Great job. At least it seems like he's moving past that illusion. Contest for Jen says, Very cute. I don't want Alex to get hurt by Ethan, but I'm worried that this is exactly what's going to happen. Unsmiley face. Or what do you call that? Do you call that a sad face? You know what I mean. Other than that small tidbit, this story is fantastic, and I can't wait for the next chapter. Mike and Alex are so cute. Cheers. Big smiley face. An anonymous commenter says, A very nice story you're crafting. Interesting. Different. Well-paced. Keep up the good work. Alexandra36 says, Agree. Pretty creative. However, Ethan and Rodney are scaring me. I hope they don't beat up on Alex or Mike too much later on. Can't wait for chapter three. Cheers, smiley face. Yeah, they are quite scary. <laughs> they're, they're quite uh, sinister and very, very opinionated and so sure of their prejudice, which I think is the really scary thing. They're so unashamed of their hatred and so empowered by it that I think that is kind of terrifying. Seeker71 says, Creative. A different type of love story you're crafting here. The pacing's really good. I'm really enjoying it thus far. And eagerly wait for more. There's also a bonus comment here from Gwiel himself, the author, who says, Glad you guys are liking the story. The next chapter should be up tomorrow, but the fourth chapter could be a few days after that. Thanks again for my great editor. Sorry I didn't mention you in the beginning again. And <laughs> they haven't mentioned them by name there. They've just <laughs> mentioned that they forgot to mention them. Some good comments there, though. And I think some familiar names. Some of those I remembered from last time. So it's good that we've got a few people along for the ride with us. And I'm sure they'll have plenty to say as the narrative heats up. I feel in a way we're still in a kind of setting the scene phase in chapter one, an initial laying of the foundation. In this chapter, we've had built on that foundation the framework of the relationship between Alex and Mike, and also, I guess, the formation of their great rivalry, the uh, kind of pseudo-Nazi gang <laughs> of Rodney and Ethan, who it seems like are being set up as the big villains in this tale. And I'm really excited for chapter three, which is where I think we're going to have a bit more of a narrative develop. If you have enjoyed this story, and you're interested in reading some of the other stories written by Gwiel, who's the author of Wings of Grey, then you can always pop on to literotica.com 
and search for Gwiel, which is spelt G-W-E-A-L-L. You can search for them as an author, and you'll have access to all 79 submissions that they've made. And I think there's 15 different stories, so 79 chapters of various stories on their profile. If you do happen to look them up and read some of their stuff, I'll invite you to leave a comment to rate their stories and support them in any way you can. It's always nice to show a bit of love, I think, to the authors of these stories who work so hard to bring the fantasies that exist solely within their heads to us via the medium of erotic literature. It's a commendable thing to do. If you've enjoyed this podcast, then I want to encourage you to please rate the podcast, like the podcast, write a little review if you can, share it with all your friends, with your family, Share it with strangers if you want to. If you're brave enough to share it with a stranger, go right ahead. Walk up to someone in the street and say, hey, you, listen to this. You never know. Maybe you'll end up making a friend for life that way. I guess it's conceivable, though, that you could end up making an enemy for life. So it's a high-risk, high-reward strategy if you do decide to go for that. I'll leave it up to you. The important thing is, I want to get this podcast out to as many people as possible, because the more people that listen to it, the more viable it becomes to continue doing this far into the future. Anyway, with that all said, I'll wish you a very pleasant week, and a very goodbye. the sub handed out a worksheet, then sat down at the teacher's desk to play Frogger on his phone. Oh, fucking hell, give him a break. It's only a substitute. It's hard enough.